And I think there's empowerment you get from having those kinds of connections and being able to take action. You know, when I just look at a headline about what's happening in Tennessee or North Dakota or something, I can feel powerless. But when I think about what I can do to help people around me and help kind of create the kind of community that I'd like to see, that can make me feel better and feel stronger. Hey, y'all. So the other day I was talking with my dad, who's older and a minister, and it would be an understatement for me to say that he does not understand what I do. But we were talking about pronouns and it was heated. At one point in our discussion, I said to him just very plainly, dad, pronouns matter. And he responded to you. They matter to you. And after I took a minute to catch my breath, I said, they matter to you too, dad. How would you feel if I started referring to you as she? And he said, well, I would not be okay with that at all. And I said, yeah, I know. They matter to you too. You just don't have to think about it because your pronouns and your gender have always matched your assigned sex at birth. He didn't particularly love that. I didn't particularly care. You're listening to Camp Wildheart, your guide for raising a transgender child and nurturing an affirming family. I'm your host, Mackenzie Dunham. Gender affects us all and matters to us all. We all have a gender story and a gender journey, and we all have these societal rules about gender that are wired into us. They deeply affect the way that we treat people. Otherwise, it really wouldn't matter if we couldn't tell what someone's gender is. Gender journeys are something that trans people think about a lot. And if you haven't ever thought about your own, I highly encourage you to. I've got some tools that can help you with this, and I'll tell you more about them at the end of the episode. But today, we're talking with Mickey Gillette. Mickey is the major gifts officer at Basic Rights Oregon, which is Oregon's LGBTQ policy and advocacy organizations. A transgender woman, she's helped organize the Portland Trans March and the City of Portland's Trans Day of Visibility events. Last year, she testified at the state legislature in support of the LGBTQ panic defense ban. Mickey is also a playwright whose works have enjoyed readings across the city of Portland. She was named a 2020 hero by GLAPN Northwest. Mickey's going to share with us a bit about her gender journey. She's also the best person I could think of to talk to you about how to show up and advocate for your kids, hopefully changing some of the messages they'll receive about their own gender and their worth as a transgender person in America. If you could just talk briefly about the experience of maybe what it was like then versus now. One of the things that kids I come across a lot is that youth don't really understand sort of their own history. Um, Mm. And that rhetoric about why are you, why do we have to shove this in everybody's face is still Mm. there. Mm -hmm. And kids are sort of internalizing that. And there's a little bit of a pushback on their end about pride and just being visible. What are your thoughts just on, on the idea of trying to appease the masses by being invisible? Sometimes I think about the time when I was coming of age as almost like a dystopia for trans people in that there was something inside me that I knew was different, but there was no language for it. There was no examples for it. Um, the little glimpses that I would get of it 
in the background of a TV show or in a Dear Abby column or something like that. This is all pre-internet. <laughs> mm-hmm. All suggested that it was a mental illness, yeah. uh, that it was really aberrant, and that no one would love someone who was trying to be live as their self if they were transgender. Not that I had that word transgender. And when something is hidden like that, and when something has to become a secret like that, there's just this shame that builds up and this idea that, oh, I need to take this to the grave. No one can know this. So I think that's why it's so important that, um, that kids have role models and that schools teach about LGBTQ identities and in sex ed and in health just to let people know that, that they belong and to let everyone else know that they belong <laughs> too. I yeah. used to work in, um, as a substitute teacher, and that's what I was doing when I transitioned, which was bonkers and not what I would <laughs> recommend to anybody. Uh, but I remember one day there was like a, a pride event and there were some kids who came in and they were, they were grumbling about it. They were straight cis kids and they were upset that this had happened. And I said, well, don't, you know, don't you want to support your classmates? And they said, oh, no, no, it's not that. It's just that, you know, I don't think there should be like a special day for it or a special spot in the, in the cafeteria for it. And I didn't think of it at the time, but afterward I thought, you know, every day everywhere is straight cis day. <laughs> and, and so if there's one day when it's not straight cis day, that feels like a loss to the straight cis kids, but it's also important just to carve out that little space to say that these students are welcome too, the queer students are welcome also. It's really, really valuable. And cis straight kids don't necessarily have a clear understanding of what it feels like to know that there's something about you that's different. Mm. And others do, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that carries through our your entire life, you know, like not just at school, but it's not something that you just sort of like put on and take off. So as you know, like I work a lot with parents. Mm-hmm. And so as parents who are not always, but for the most part, cis straight parents of kids who are um, LGBTQ or trans specifically, and sometimes they're struggling to be affirming and sometimes they're like they've done their work and they're ready and they're gonna do the all the things and sometimes they don't really know what to do and i'm wondering from your role as an activist and working for an activist organization what would you advise for a parent who's just wanting to try and reduce the otherness for their kid Our society is kind of at kindergarten level when it comes to gender. It's like, I'm a boy, I'm a girl. (laughs) And and when you're trans, or at least for me, I, you know, I read everything I could get my hands on. I was, you know, just trying to understand Mm -hmm. both like, you know, who I was, but also why it was so hard to be myself in society. And yeah. You know, on my own, I became like a graduate level <laughs> person in gender <laughs> just because I had, you know, consumed just all of this. Read everything. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that could be really helpful for parents because, you know, if you're looking at your kid and you're like, I want to support my kid, but I just don't understand, then 
then the, there probably is going to be a sense of otherness. Um, so I think that's the best way that you can maybe become an advocate for your child is just learning about trans stuff so that, you know, when you talk to the school, you can, you can speak authoritatively or if you're talking to doctors or your relatives, then, then you can have a confidence about the way you talk about your child. Yeah. I think believing your child is, it, it's so important just so they can know that they're understood and things change when you transition. Like I, <laughs> I think that's something people don't necessarily understand is that, you know, someone comes out to a friend and they're like, Oh, okay. Well, this now I know everything. And it's like, no, because <laughs> the person who just came out to you doesn't know everything. Like a transition is, um, it's sort of a journey. And yeah. 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 And so if your child can know that they can give you an update and it's okay. And that's not going to throw you into a world of doubt because, you know, something has changed. I think that's important too. Then they can know that you're on the journey with them. Yeah. That's a really, really, really great point. Mm -hmm. I think so often parents see kids because things do shift, right? And I don't think mm -hmm. that any parent who's been through this would disagree with that. Mm -hmm. And certainly no trans kid's going to disagree with that. Um, but <laughs> the the expectation, though, for a parent who's just starting out on this journey is you've come out, my kid has come out, and that's it. That's the path we're on now. And there's no there's no new information that's going to come. <laughs> and right. I'm, and I'm always like, yeah, that's, that's not how that works. <laughs> uh, <laughs> And the more oftentimes, you know, the more comfortable a kid becomes in who they are, like expressions change and they become more mm -hmm. comfortable. They, the more they learn about gender in general, right? Like they're learning more too. Mm -hmm. And so I think that sometimes parents expect kids to be the expert. And I'm like, they're all, the only expert on what they're feeling right now. And even that's a little confusing for them. Um, mm, yeah. So finding sources that they can turn to to provide them with the information about what this journey might include or might be like. This is sort of a surprise here, but is there any book in particular or any anything that you recommend to families or to individuals that you come across regularly? I know I have a, like a short list, so. Yeah, yeah, there's a couple. There's one I haven't read for a really long time, but I liked a lot when I read it that was called The Transgender Child. Yeah, and it was written by a few, like a couple of counselors who worked with trans kids. And I don't know if that would be outdated. I, I said that to someone and they were like, no, it's not outdated. So <laughs> at least it's according not to outdated. One. Yeah, oh, that's good. by Michelle Angelo. Um, we mm -hmm. call it the yellow book. <laughs> Oh, okay. <laughs> Where's the yellow book? It's the one with all the good things that parents need. Um, <laughs> I'll put a link to it in our show notes. Is there any other book, Mickey, that um, sort of jumps out at you? It's like, oh, yeah, I liked this one or this one was really powerful, important. Yeah, I, I think for a parent, the book Becoming Nicole might be good. That's about Nicole Maines' family. I think something valuable that it does is it shows the journey that the parents take. Like the parents weren't super knowledgeable about queer stuff <laughs> to yeah, start with. For sure. But 
you know, as it went on, you know, as Nicole's journey went on, and especially as it became embroiled in some political stuff in the state of Maine, they just became really fierce advocates. And I thought that was nice to see. I think it might be, you know, if a parent maybe hasn't had a lot of contact with the queer community, and they just encounter a bunch of people who are 100% on board with trans stuff that might confuse or alienate folks. Um, I mean, I hope not, but that could be the case. And I think this book maybe is a bridge to that. Like, oh, here's another person who went on this journey and, you know, loves their kid. And now their kid is like Supergirl or whatever on TV. <laughs> right. So things worked out. <laughs> yeah, that worked out okay. Yeah. And Becoming Nicole is a really, it's one I recommend often. Um, and I've seen, and because Nicole's a twin, an identical right. twin. Um, and so that adds this other layer to it that I think is really helpful and valuable to families when they, when they read their story. Yeah. Yeah. It's so interesting. The other one I really love is by Sarah McBride. Um, oh, yeah. Tomorrow Will Be Different. I really liked that. It's a nice combination of memoir and lots and lots of statistics. <laughs> <laughs> that was a good one. Well, can you tell me a little bit about um, Basic Rights Oregon and sort of, I mean, we started, I started you on a personal level instead of on uh -huh. a professional level, but can you tell me a little bit about Basic Rights Oregon and what you all are focused on in general, as well as specifically for the trans community in Oregon? Yeah, so Basic Rights Oregon is the state's LGBTQ policy and advocacy organization. We formed in 1996 uh, in response to anti-gay ballot measures that were happening almost yearly in the state. And the group was formed to have kind of an ongoing advocacy group and also uh, a vehicle to do kind of positive education and outreach and lay the groundwork for... Um, a progressive state that was open to LGBTQ equality. Uh, around 2007 or 8, the Basic Rights Oregon formed a transgender justice program and a racial justice program, recognizing that trans people and LGBTQ people of color face sort of increased barriers to equality in comparison to their white and or uh, cisgender peers. Yeah, what that's looked like for the trans community over the past few years, in 2015, we passed a law that made it easier for people to change their names and gender markers on their IDs. Uh, we've been working with the Oregon Health Plan to make sure that uh, transgender-affirming health care is covered. We're one of the only states that covers puberty blockers for trans kids, which is really great. <laughs> yeah, it's really great. We work a lot in schools because, you know, just like there is around the country, there's pushback to transgender inclusion here. So in 2016, we worked with the Oregon Department of Education on their transgender inclusion guidelines. And we're, we're working with them again this year because in 2016, there wasn't as much visibility for the non-binary community. And so there weren't a lot of rules on how schools can support non-binary students. And so we're going to go back in and, and try to help find the best way to do that. We have a group called the Fierce Families, which is uh, a volunteer group of family members of transgender kids. And they came about in part 
uh, because of a lawsuit that happened where some parents in Dallas, Oregon, which is a small town west of Salem, uh, sued the state to kind of remove the guidelines that I just talked about. Mm. We held this press conference and it was our executive director, the legal director of the ACLU of Oregon, and the mom of a transgender kid. And they all spoke. And afterward, all the reporters went and talked to the mom. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> because everybody can relate to, you know, a mom and a child and loving and supporting your your child or children. And we realized, oh, wow, these are, you know, these are some of our best spokespeople, especially when it came to matters involving kids, because, you know, there's, there could be a lot of ethical concerns about having children become spokespeople <laughs> and then yeah, absolutely. that follow them for the rest of their lives. But the parents yeah. are great. You know, they, they want the world to be better for their kids. They want the world to love their kids as much as they do. And that really comes through when they, uh, they talk about their children and, and these issues. And so we had this network of parents who already knew each other. We found once, once they came to us, they'd already been in Facebook groups with each other. <laughs> kind of doing this work and and they were ready to um, take these opportunities like when there was a press conference when there was a court hearing or uh, just when they were invited by a school to come and talk about these issues one thing that was going on before the pandemic is there's a group in Oregon called parents rights in education which is a very conservative group they oppose anti-racism training they oppose student health centers in high school because they talk about reproductive health care, but they also oppose comprehensive sex education. Sure. Mm-hmm. Because it uh, talks about LGBTQ identities and they spread myths that teachers are trying to change kids' genders and drag queen story hour is a big recruitment yep. <laughs> movement. <laughs> I wish I could say that I was shocked to hear all these, but I'm like, oh, yeah, I've heard this definitely many times before. And not in Oregon, you know, in other states as well. Yeah. So we, before the pandemic, this group would go to, you know, Hillsborough and tell the school board to uh, scrap comprehensive sex education. And we would put out the word to volunteers and especially Pierce family members and you know, everybody would caravan out to Hillsborough so that we could testify about how important these things are, just to make sure that the school board heard, heard different voices too. We're involved with advocating for trans kids and also um, trans kids' family members are involved with us. I think maybe I'll have to connect with you a little more about Fierce Families um, outside mm-hmm. the podcast because I think, because I'm located in Washington, in the state of Washington. and um, Yeah. And one thing I've heard from parents recently, in fact, is it would be so great if there are a way for us to organize and connect with each other locally um, yeah. as they're facing schools who are that are literally just saying, yeah, we're not going to do that thing that we're required to do. And then them trying to work the process that the district and the and OSPI has laid out for them and, and just feeling really powerless through the whole thing. Well, we'll talk more about that. Yeah. <laughs> um, about ways that you've been successful in helping fierce families organize and so that maybe we can replicate the success over here. So in terms of parents wanting to support their kids. So I heard you say, educate yourself, right? Like finding mm-hmm. reliable trans affirming sources to read and then attending school board meetings and being aware of what's going on locally that affects your kid. 
right. then are there other things like for families who maybe are wanting to support Basic Rights Oregon or even just get involved a little bit more? How would they do that? Is there a way that like Oregon families can join Fierce Families? And is it just Oregon families? That's no. another question. Yeah. No, I think we have had um, uh, family members from, Van- from Vancouver before. And it's great because we don't always know, even though Portland is right across the river, <laughs> we right. don't always know what's happening uh, in Vancouver. Yeah, we right now, because of the pandemic, the Fierce families have been meeting once a month on a Zoom call. And, you know, people are welcome to join that. If someone went to our website, which is basicrights.org, there's a Get Involved tab. And when you move the cursor over that, um, I think it's Fierce Families Leadership Network comes up. And anyone can sign up for that. Um, the people who are in charge of, you know, outreach to new members are really great about reaching out to people and giving them the link if they want to join and answering questions that they might have. So, yeah, there's an open door to getting involved that way. That's awesome. And then if you want to support, there's also a green donate button on the website. Perfect. That's what I was going to say. What if they just want to give you money? (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Monthly gifts are a great way to help keep our work going. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. I'm wondering also, as I was sitting here thinking about, one of the things that has been really, has come up a lot in conversations um, that I've been having lately with families, but also with other practitioners, is this idea of... We all took a breath in 2020, um, in January 2021, when the administration changed. And what I had found when I did some research for a talk I was giving not too long ago was that even though the federal administration has changed into a more affirming administration, the efforts to attack or suppress or oppress the trans community have really ramped up. Yeah. And... So it went from, I mean, we're already at more than 150 bills across the country in just the four and a half months that we've been in this year so far, which is more than the last, the two previous years combined. And as I'm looking at just that data, right, there's two questions I have. One is when, when do you take it seriously and when do you go, okay, that's going to die? Um, and two, how do you not let it eat your soul? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Sort of a bigger question. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. That, yeah, that is a good question. I, um, let me think. I was really surprised by this wave of bills because I watched really closely in, you know, 2014, 2015 when all the bathroom bills were happening and, it seemed like then that the Republicans were still listening to corporations, business interests who were saying, no, you know, we can't make our state like this because we want, need to be open to everybody and we want to recruit everybody to work for us. And, and North Carolina was the only bill that really went ahead and they paid such a big price for it. Yeah, it surprised me that they would attack kids too because I thought, people would listen to the parents of kids like that. Like I was just saying. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And the way Arkansas has gone ahead and Tennessee, it really, 
yeah, it kind of stunned me. Um, and the healthcare issue too, it, it just seems so, I don't know, almost just so cruel and almost existentially threatening to imagine being like an 11 year old trans kid in Arkansas now or in one of the states where these bills are still being debated. Yeah, I guess one thing that I did was reach out to a friend of mine who, um, who used to work at ACLU, who's a lawyer, who works around queer rights. And I was like, what, you know, what's the strategy? I, when I read about this, I don't hear that much about what the next steps that are going to be taken legally. And, and they went over, you know, what they thought the strategy would be, who the groups are that are probably going to be working on this, like the Transgender Law Center and Transgender Legal Defense Fund. And, and that, that helped me a little. Even though it's terrifying, it's also like, how do you, how does the law tell a parent they can't get healthcare for their kid? <laughs> that right. doesn't make any sense to me. Doesn't make any sense um, to me either. And it is a little, I mean, I remember when some of Trump's judges were being appointed, like some of them had worked at or had connections with the Alliance for Defending Freedom, which is the organization writing all of these bills. And right. So that's, that's kind of scary. Um, I mean, I guess when I'm optimistic, I think, well, look in Oregon. In Oregon, in 2004, we passed a constitutional ban on same-sex marriage. And then in 2014, that was overturned. You know, that yeah. was an awful 10 years. But I mean, during that time, public opinion just continued moving toward acceptance. And also, I don't know if you saw it, but there was a, a poll that was done by... Marist College or someone, both of these movements, the movement to ban kids from sports and the movement to ban them from healthcare are really unpopular, like two to yeah. one. Yeah. <laughs> I guess it, it's just people afraid of being primaried and so they're voting for these things, which is horrible. You know, I don't see how anyone, unless you just don't believe that trans people are real, I don't see how you could. <laughs> Vote for this. I've definitely met some people who think that. Um, <laughs> but so when you say, I just want to make sure for listeners, like mm -hmm. when you say they're afraid of being primaried, they're afraid oh. of somebody who's further to the right coming yeah. and sort of attacking them from for being too moderate. Yeah. Even if they're already very conservative. Right, right. Yeah. And I'm taking I listened to the Daily Show podcast that they had on this issue and and I guess it makes sense, like Alabama is the most recent bill or most recent state to pass one of these bills and have it signed into law. And it's one of the sports bills. And, yep. you know, if you're in a district that went Trump plus 20 or something, you're not worried about losing to a Democrat uh, right. in your next election. But you might be right. worried about someone saying, oh, this person was soft on trans kids playing sports or something which, you know, is terrible, but that, that seems to be the logic that's happening. You know, as I think about this, like, I think about just kids playing sports in general. Like, I'm a parent. I've got a kid. I've got two kids, one who, like, loathes competition and the other one who, like, <laughs> loves competition. And I just think about when I put them into sports and when I enroll them in sports, like, what's my goal as a parent? Am I trying to turn mm -hmm. them into, like, Olympic contender athletes? <laughs> or like turn them into professionals, you know, professional athletes. Nope. I'm looking for something for them to do on Saturday. You know, like, <laughs> yeah. I, 
And so I think about that when we were like, we can't let the trans kids participate because they've got muscular advantages, which <laughs> I won't even like, we can get into the science on that a different day. But the, I'm like, isn't the point of kids playing sports to like learn some skills, be social, like learn teamwork. Like there's so many things that kids mm. learn from playing sports and then doing enrichment activities that it's not about you must be the very best and win at all the things. In fact, <laughs> I feel like kids learn so much more when they aren't. Um, but mm -hmm. either way, you know, trans kids aren't a threat to that. I don't yeah. know why we're making them out to be. Yeah. So that's just me and my little parental soapbox. <laughs> well, Mickey, is there anything else that you really want to make sure that parents hear about either with the work that's being done locally or ways that they can affect change? You know, I fall into this trap of thinking like, oh, if I'm not hearing anything bad happening, then it must be great. And then right. <laughs> something will pop up like a few weeks ago in Grants Pass, There's, which is like a small town in Southern Oregon. This teacher and administrator started this movement called I Resolve, which um, was kind of all about denying rights and dignity to trans kids. So mm. they talked about anatomical bathrooms and they talked about, you know, not forcing teachers to use the pronouns and names that, that kids are using for themselves. And, right. and it was awful. And luckily their school district suspended them. And that's part of what led the Oregon Department of Education to revisiting the guidelines. They're like, oh, we need to, you know, make sure people know that our state affirms trans kids. Yeah, I think it is valuable to have networks all around to think about, you know, where where can you be supportive to other parents and supportive to kids everywhere, not just in your backyard, which can be good. And I think there's there's kind of a empowerment you get from having those kinds of connections and being able to take action when we, you know, when I just look at a headline about what's happening in Tennessee or North Dakota or something, I can feel powerless. But when I think about what I can do to help people around me and help, you know, kind of create the kind of community that I'd like to see, that can make me feel better and feel stronger. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I continuously come back to this feeling of, it just feels so much better to know that I'm not alone in it. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And to and it really is helpful, I think, to know when you're looking at the fight that it lays in front of you, okay, I'm not alone, right? Like, <laughs> I have the support of all of these parents in this state and all these parents in this state and all these parents here. And I think just letting families know that we're in it with them, I feel like is just really powerful. Well, Mickey, thanks so much for your time. I appreciate it. And if you have any information that like of movements of things that come up in the future that you want parents to know about, um, you can send them to me and I will be sure to include them as I talk about, as I talk, as continue to talk to parents so that they're always in the know. Oh, thank you. Yeah. Thanks for inviting me on and thanks for creating this great resource for parents. And I'll definitely uh, keep you in the loop when I hear things. All right. Thanks so much. I appreciate it. Yeah. My pleasure. There's so much work to do, y'all, both inside ourselves and in the world we live in. 
If you were hoping to be the kind of adult that had a boring life, your trans kid has probably made it so that isn't going to happen. And that's okay, because that's really what we sign up for when we sign up to be parents. We never know what we're going to get. But what a cool gift to be able to watch our kids become whoever and whatever they turn out to be. Camp Wildheart and our community of listeners are here to support you through this journey. So if there's anything we can do to support you in supporting your kid, please let us know. You can find us on Facebook and Instagram as Wildheart Society, or you can send us an email at camp at wildheartsociety.org. We also have a private Facebook group for parents to connect with each other and ask questions called Camp Wildheart Community. Thanks to Mickey again for sharing her story, for some helpful downloads on ways you can reflect on your own gender journey. Visit our website, wildheartsociety.org slash podcasts and click on downloads. Thanks again for joining us for camp. Be sure to subscribe for free to the podcast so you don't miss future campfires and give us a rating. Rating the podcast helps other people find us. And we want to make sure that anyone who needs one knows there's a bunk for them at Camp Wildheart. Heart.